Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river. And really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. Uh, this morning we're continuing our series in the book of Romans. We got back into that last week with our uh, message on election from Romans chapter 9. This week we're continuing with the rest of chapter 9, the beginning of or all the, uh, the fullness of chapter 10. And um, we're going to get a little bit of marching orders this morning. Uh, Paul sir, is going to begin this text on um, sort of, uh, he's, he's got a lot to say about the law and what it is and what faith and what is it is, uh, the tradition of the Jews versus the new tradition now of the Gentiles in faith and, and how we understand that. And then we hear some pretty significant challenges in terms of uh, what the church is called to out of that. And um, so, as God might will it, I hope that he moves us and moves all of us to deeper understanding of who he is and who he calls us to continue to be. As we gather around God's word together, let's pray for his blessing and his transformation in our time together. Living God, hope of the world, um, we ask that you move us Lord, we know we need to be moved. We are a stubborn and obstinate people so often. We have that independent streak in our hearts and our minds that causes us to believe that we are without need, that we can figure it out on our own. And then, Lord, we are confronted with the truth that there's too many messes, there's too much brokenness, we are too weak. And we are desperately in need of your grace, your hope, and your love. And you offer that to us, O oh God. May we receive it. May we receive it, Lord, and in gratitude go and reflect that beauty, that love, that grace, that hope to the world around us. And Lord, the world that you send us to, that it might be changed. We pray, Father that uh, you touch hearts today. Lord, I know, I, I just sense it, that there are people here who do not know or acknowledge the grace of Jesus Christ. I pray in Jesus' name that you remove barriers, that there might be understanding, and that there might be, through the power of your Spirit, a transformation that changes not only a present, but also an eternity. Lord, if it be your will, speak your truth to our hearts and minds that we might be changed. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been sitting for a while. I ask out of respect for God's word and just to stretch your legs for a moment if you would stand as we read his word together. From Romans chapter 9 beginning at verse 30. What then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? A righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal? 
Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. The righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same, is Lord, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Some of you know, some of you do not, that I was raised in a small town in eastern Ontario, Canada. And as a young boy in that small town, I did what all young boys do, at least it seems to me, most young boys, they explore the world that they live in. And we had free range of the town, especially during summertime, this little town under 10,000 people. And so we explored every nook and cranny of it, every alleyway, every field, every little back entrance, every little space. We would move around and do things and play hide and seek and play games and get in trouble sometimes. And it was, it was quite a time 
growing up. And of course, you have to have that great tool for exploration as a little boy in a small town like this, and that tool is a bike. I had an orange bike. I don't even remember what brand it was. My mom can probably tell you. She was here. They bought it for me. But we had this bike. I had this bike that I knew all the trails. I knew all the places to go. In fact, there were trails that we wore down because you knew those were the ones with the best jumps and you could catch some air, which ended up in some emergency room visits at times. But you go try to go as far as you could and as fast as you could. And it was, I mean, when you, that first spring day, when your dad did the bike tune-up and you got to go out and ride your bike around, that was like the best day of the year because you just ride everywhere and do everything. It was a great time. And then I turned 16. And suddenly, of course, the orange bike begins to gather some dust. Well, why? Because you get your license and you get your car or you borrow mom and dad's station wagon, the coolest car in the world. And all of a sudden, your exploration and your world gets much bigger much more developed. There's a lot more out there. Instead of exploring just the towns, the town that you're in and its back alleys and fields and all over the place, you can explore the next town or the county or you can go meet, go and, and, and go on a date with that girl. You can go meet up with your friends. You can go to the lake. You can do this. You can do that. All of a sudden, your world is opened up and you understand even more so what the fullness of life and freedom is when you get your license and experience driving around for the first time. In many ways, what we hear from Paul this morning is that the Jews are stuck in bike days. These are people, Paul is describing, who have understood some they have gained understanding about this part or a little, but they're certainly missing the fullness of life and they're missing the full point of God's message to them because they're missing grace. More particularly, they've missed Jesus. And that's a big deal. It's a big deal for the Jews because remember, these are Jews who have lived literally for thousands of years with a certain understanding about how you interact with God. In your Bibles in the pews, you, how you interact with God, look at the book of Leviticus. How you act with God, look at the book of Deuteronomy. How you interact with God, all the prophets, all the law of the Old Testament, that's how you interact with God. And Paul has come, and Paul is writing this message to the Roman church, which is certainly significantly Gentile, but still partially Jewish. And he's saying to them, guess what? All that stuff, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, the prophets, the law, the wisdom books, turn them on their head a little bit. No, not a little bit, a lot bit, completely. This is a radical departure for Paul and the church. He's turning Judaism on its head. To say the law has caused the Jews to stumble over Jesus would certainly not endear him to some. This is why if we read the book of Acts, we see 
Paul and the other disciples going into different spots, different cities, different towns. And they often will go to speak in the local synagogue or meet up with a Jewish community in the local square. And they are not always, in fact, most of the time, they're not well received. Why? Because their message that they carry with them is a life-changing message. It's a a paradigm-altering message. What was once law now is faith. What was once obedience is now grace. And for certainly many of the Jews, they're not adjusting to change well. They're not entering into this new understanding and they would try to counter, try to stop, try to become a barrier to the proclamation of this sort of message. To acknowledge the grace of Christ, the old understandings have to be abandoned. Paul's not saying alter them. He's not saying, hey, we can fit them into what we're talking about now. He's saying, no, that whole idea about a law of obedience that gets us right with God needs to be swept away. And now we are living into this new righteousness through grace, the grace imparted through Jesus Christ. And he's calling the church to this. A friend of mine that I was talking to a number of years ago was describing a visit to a museum in Greece that he had done. He had gone on a trip there, and he went to this museum, and he took taken a picture of this stone, about three and a half to four feet wide, maybe two and a half, three foot tall, 18 to 24 inches thick, weighed about four or 500 pounds. And if you've gone to many museums, especially and certainly in parts of the world where the culture there is very old, there's lots of stones, lots of rocks, lots of those sorts of displays. This one was unique. There's only two known stones like this in the entire world. One is complete, that's this one. Another one is partial. And on this stone, inscripted in Hebrew, is a very unique message. And that message is this. It says... Beware, if you be Gentile, that crossing past this stone might bring you unto death. It's a very unique stone to warn someone who is Gentile that they could die if they went past the stone. Where was the stone? It was a Jerusalem temple stone. This was one of the stones that was in the courtyard of Gentiles that kept it as a barrier, the wall between that and the rest of the temple complex where good Jews were welcomed, where Jews got closer to God. Jews were, the priests even could go at least once a year into the Holy of Holies. You could get closer to God, but you couldn't if you were Gentile because you couldn't get past this stone. But this stone is now in a museum. And we know the story, of course, on the day of his crucifixion, as Christ breathed his last, what happened? The temple curtain was torn in two. Obviously, the symbolism is great, that God is now open to all. But this stone reminds us that it's not just the curtain from the temple torn in two, it's the whole temple itself. The whole temple representing the law of righteousness through obedience to the law is now a museum display. 
It no longer holds that power for the people of God. It's something we look at and remember that once was how we thought, but now we live in grace. Now we live into this new understanding of what we have known and received in Jesus Christ. And then in verses 1 through 4, we hear this. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they might be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, Paul is talking about zealous Jews, Jews who really pursued after God. And he's one who can speak into this. Why? Because his background is that as one of the temple leaders. He's one of the, the priestly, he's one of the Pharisees. This guy knew how it was supposed to go. This guy was part of the group that dictated how obedience was kept, how the law was observed, the things you did. In fact, the Pharisees put together this whole extra law stuff. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Prophets, that's one part. But if you really want to know how to obey it, read the Mishnah. And the Mishnah are the extra Pharisaical writings. These are writings that people could tell you, the Pharisees could tell you, how many steps you could take on the Sabbath in order to not violate the commandment. They could tell you exactly how to prepare your food so that you wouldn't violate one of the dietary laws. They could tell you exactly how long you should clean in order to not violate the cleanliness laws. You see, remember the Jews at Jesus' day, were post-exile Jews. These were people after the exile of the Jews out from Jerusalem in the Old Testament, after Jerusalem was destroyed and the people were dispersed to nations around as slaves and as wanderers. These are the people who had been called back and they knew that they had been displaced. They'd been put into exile. Why? Because they had disobeyed God. We're not going to let that happen again. We're going to make sure this time that we get it right. We're going to make sure this time that we nail it. So we're going to make sure this time we know exactly how to obey the law. We need these people, the Pharisees, who can tell us how it is to really make sure that we don't incur God's wrath. We want to be okay with him. We don't want that exile again. But the problem is with all that, that it causes them to miss the most important part of the law. And that's its fulfillment. Verse 4 says, Christ is the culmination of the law. So that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Not every Jew. Everyone and then verses 5 through 13. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. A person who does, not, who does these things will live by them. If you obey it right, you're doing right. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. 
That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The scripture says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This section, Paul is reminding us and reminding the Romans that the Messiah came to abolish human standards. That phrase, those two phrases in there that sort of point to that, who will ascend? Who can make it to God? Who can do enough to get to God? Or who will descend? Who, how do we fail enough to be outside of his love? How do we fail enough? What would we do if, uh, what can we do that would put us outside of relationship with God? That's why those phrases are there. Christ came to abolish all that. And become righteousness himself. What does it say there? Hear these words, powerful. In verse 8, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. It is with you. What do we call Jesus? We call him God incarnate. Carne is a a Latin word, I think. Someone might correct me on that one. It's It's a word that means flesh. God became flesh. Why? To dwell among us, full of grace and truth. God is near. God is not obtained. God is not pursued by obedience. God is not achieved by how good we are because God is with us through his work, the work of Jesus Christ. We don't need to attain. We need to receive. And live in gratitude. And you see this powerful connection that Paul makes between heart and mouth. Both are at work in reflecting the grace of Christ to the world around them. It's all of life. It's not just one part of us that is transformed by grace. You can't say you are a believer and have parts of you that you and I would save out to do things our own way. All of life is completely transformed. Your heart, listen to these beautiful theological ideas. It's in verse 10. Verse 10 says this, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The heart is inward evidence of God's transformation. And that wonderful theological word that we use is justified. God looks at us and he sees Jesus. And because he sees Jesus in his perfection and his holiness, he says, you are one of mine. It's a powerful theological idea. But it can't just stay there. It can't just stay with a heart that is changed. That's why Paul says, what do you do? You profess your faith. And as you profess your faith, you're reflecting that this thing is different. 
This thing has moved your words and your actions all of your life into a newness, into a new reality, into a full and complete change that says, I am made new by the blood of Jesus and I will now live into that new life. And the challenge that we so often have is we know this, but we don't live into this. We don't live into the words and the actions that reflect it. Sometimes it's out of fear, right? Fear of rejection. We say things like, well, I don't have that gift, spiritual gift. That's a ridiculous scriptural misuse at the very least. You have been called by God. You and I have been called by God in the Great Commission. Something we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes. And I hope that I'm going to punch you right between the eyes with the word of God. I, I pray that that's the case. In a loving way. <laughs> but the all of life part is the living into gratitude. The thanksgiving for what Christ has done. And if the rest of life doesn't reflect the heart change then we're not living into that new reality offered through Jesus. And our prayer has to become Christ and change all of me that I might be made new because all of it comes only through Christ. And then verses 14 and 15 says this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. If you turn back in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, you'll see Christ talking to the disciples and in many ways giving them that great commission. Go out, preach my gospel. Go out, show the world. Go out, baptize. Go out, carry me into the world. But what we hear here in chapter 10 of Romans is that it's not just about us being obedient. That's certainly appropriate. It's certainly important. Christ has called us. We need to live into that calling. But the problem is as well is if we don't live into that calling that there are consequences for those who are to receive what we are bringing to them. If we do not go, then they can't hear. If they can't hear, they can't believe. And if they can't believe, then they are not changed. So we need to go. There are consequences if we don't. You and I have been made for unique places and spaces where God has called us uniquely to go. And I'm going to do something this morning. I'm going to do, this is, this, you're all going to get ordained, okay? You can't go out and do weddings now, by the way. But you, I'm going to ordain you all to the, the office of preacher. And why am I going to ordain you to the office of preacher? Because God's word says that we are called to what? Go and preach. What does it say? It says, and how, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Guess what? This morning, as of this moment, you are sent to go preach. I am sending you. As your pastor, called by God, 
in obedience to the Holy Spirit's movement in my life and in the life of this church, I am sending you. Go and preach the gospel all times and in all ways. And occasionally, when necessary, use words. Go and live out into the world around you the life that God has given you in gratitude for what he has done. Go and live into actions and in words that you speak because you want to be a preacher of the gospel. You want to be someone who carries it. But here's the thing. Here's why. It has to be you. God has ordained me to be a unique part of his kingdom in a unique place at a unique time to a unique people in unique contexts. And you know what? There are some contexts that I'm in, you can't come. It's not because I don't want you there. It just won't work if you go. You can't come into some of the relationships that I've been working at for years. You can't come into some of the conversations that I've been having because you haven't earned the right to be in them. But guess what? I haven't earned the right to be in yours. And you have to go. Because if you don't go, it's going to get missed. Oh God, God's amazing. And if you mess it up, and if you don't do it, he can use something else if he wants. But why would we say God send someone else? Because I want to go, because when I go and I'm a part of it, something awesome happens that I get to hear. I get to be a part of. I get to experience. And it moves me to want to, with the rest of my life, say thank you more. I want to go. I don't want God to have to send somebody else into my places. I want to be obedient out of thanksgiving. And then see what happens. You are sent by God into your places and spaces to preach the gospel and to bring the good news of Christ. This past week was sort of a goofy week in some ways. It seems like it's always a goofy week when God sort of works on stuff because Scott Algersma has plans and ideas and for some reason, God's plans are usually different than mine and he hasn't always let me in on that. But when he does, it's pretty amazing and it blows up my world. This happened this week. I had like three different independent conversations that were unprompted about the north side of Redlands. There are many of you know that we have been a part of ministry at Magonia School for a while and some stuff has just sort of gone on and developed in the neighborhood around Lagonia School. Basically, Lagonia and Church Street Ranch Market and about a mile and a half, two miles around that in a lot of different directions. God is doing something. And we're just trying to figure out what he's doing and be obedient to the calling that he's put on us. And these three conversations that I had this week about it, and I have a feeling that I'm going to have more today, Uh, have just opened up the idea that God is calling us to grow ministry there in some new ways. It's interesting because a couple weeks ago we had a council meeting. Council is the leadership group of our church who uh, works hard to set a vision and affirm a vision for the ministry here at the river. And about three or four weeks ago we sat as council and we made a lot of decisions about a lot of things. And one of the decisions that we made has this consequence. It's a beautiful consequence. It's not a negative one, but it's also a challenging one. And that consequence is that between in the next 24 to 36 months, earlier if God calls, later if he does elsewise, we are going to be planting a church in the north side of Redlands. 
We don't know what that looks like yet. We got no idea how it's going to happen. We're wondering what God's going to raise up, how he's going to do some things, some things that need to be changed, what he's going to change, what he's going to provide in that. But we just really feel like God is calling and we need to be obedient to that call. And if we've been sent, then we're going to go. Then we're going to go. And I... But here's the thing. I, I don't want to applaud because we're obedient. I want to applaud because God's sending. It means that God is equipping us for something. And yeah, it's going to be different. As God opens it up, we got a lot of stuff to figure out. And honestly, at the end of the day, it scares me. Because new work of God scares me. Because I don't know how to work in some of those places. I don't know how to speak some of those languages. I don't know where in there is my voice, our voice. But what I do know is if God sends, he will prepare the way. And when we get there, he'll meet us and he'll do something. And so we're going to go. In his time, in his way, we're going to go. Be in prayer for that, please. Please be in prayer for that. Verses 16 through 21 then say this. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hand to a disobedient and obstinate people. Paul closes this whole section with a reminder that some who hear simply don't listen and they don't believe. There are going to be people out there that hear the gospel and hear it not only in a way that is beautiful, powerful, but is also speaking exactly to where they are in life and for whatever reason, they still won't accept it. But it never lets us off the hook. We still got to say it. We still got to speak it. We still got to live it. You and I cannot say, I'm not going to go into that conversation to speak the gospel because they won't listen. A, we don't know what God's going to do. God may use you. And B, that's not on us. That's on God. So go and speak. You are sent of God to preach his gospel with your heart that is transformed and your mouth which attests to the faith that you know in Jesus Christ. You go equipped by the Spirit to speak into a dark and broken world that desperately needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what about all this? First of all, righteous by, righteousness by obedience to the law doesn't work. Never has, it never will. Didn't work for the Jews they couldn't pull it off in the Old Testament. That's why God sent Jesus. And it doesn't work for us. We can't pull it off. You can't pull it off. I can't pull it off. Righteousness imparted by the grace of Christ transforms everything though. It captures a heart that is justified before God. And it transforms the mouth and the rest of life. All action 
and it changes everything. You and I live a changed life. It should be remarkably different. My life, I can't imagine what my life would be without the grace of Jesus Christ because everything would be different. That's how much transformation he continues to do in me and I hope he has more to come. And for us to all know if what we were was one thing before the grace of Jesus, then everything after has to be changed because Christ changes all of us. God then calls grace receivers, people who know this transformation, to carry his message wherever he calls without condition. This is a command of God. This is not one of those want to's. This is have to. So, you and I have to carry the message, not have to out of obedience, a have to out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. So how do we go? Well, we hear that metaphor in the text that is, it says this, how beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. I, I got ugly feet. I got a space between my big toe and my second toe that's like this wide. I can fit a tennis ball between it. Ugly feet. I want beautiful feet. And I don't think physically anything's going to change, but I do know this. That as I go and I share the gospel of Jesus Christ as he calls me, as I'm obedient even to hard places, and believe me, there are hard places that I know Christ has called me to. There are hard conversations that oftentimes I don't want to have. There are obstinate and stubborn people in the mirror when I look at myself in the morning and there are obstinate and stubborn people out there who we have to talk to and are called of God to go and speak to. But we are called to go. And as we go, the amazing thing is is we can't look down and see our physical feet changing. But the truth is our spiritual feet are. Actually, our spiritual, all of us is changing. All of us becomes more beautiful. Why? Because all of us is more deeply expressing the gratitude that we know in Jesus Christ. My challenge to you is this. You have been given a unique place. You have been given a unique context. Your place is your place. And I don't know what that is, but I do know that God has called you just as he's called me. And I want you to think of that place. Maybe it's a person that you work beside. Maybe it's another student that you sit beside. Maybe it's a family in your classroom. Maybe it's a neighbor that you know. Maybe it's a teammate. Maybe it's some, I want you all, I, I have one right now. I can think of him. He's right there. I want you to think of that face. And I want you to visualize in some ways, just a conversation that you're having with that person. And it can be about life, it can be about recipes, it can be about anything. But within that conversation that you're having with that person, you're bringing love, you're speaking grace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, joy, peace, patience, all the stuff that you know God has called you to. You're speaking that into that relationship. And as you see that conversation happening, you see your feet begin to glow, becoming more beautiful because you are obedient to the calling that God has put on you uniquely, specifically, in your own way. 
My hope and my prayer is that that's not just something you close your eyes and think about. But that's something that you and I, out of the grace of Christ and with the Spirit's equipping and power, are willing to go and have that conversation. Go willing to live into that relationship. Willing to go and carry the gospel, carry the love, carry the grace of Christ. He might use us in the place where he's called us to change a heart, to change a life, to change an eternity.